Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning, will you please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. This morning we're going to finish a series we started five weeks ago on the armor of God. And we're uh, finishing it with the final piece, the sword of the Spirit. So far, we've looked at five out of the six pieces of God's armor, and it is his armor. The scripture is very clear that it's not ours, but God's, and he has given it to us as a gift. And it's interesting to note that five out of the six pieces are primarily defensive in nature. It kind of points out the criticalness of of our need for defense. Uh, we have an enemy, and we're going to read that again, but you know we have an enemy that is prowling around like a, a lion, looking for who he may devour, to find a spot where we are weak. But God has provided us with divinely uh, inspired and empowered pieces of armor, the majority of which are for our defense. And if we will put them on and live with those on, the enemy cannot touch us. It's also interesting to note, and we've talked about it over the past few weeks, that uh, four out of the six pieces of armor we passively engage with. And what I mean by that is we equip them. We put them on. And Paul is very clear that we must put on all these pieces of armor. But once we put on the belt of truth, once we uh, fasten on the shoes of the gospel of peace, once we put on the breastplate of righteousness and put on the helmet of salvation, they do their job. We put that armor on, we equip it, and then it performs its function as it's intended to. But there's two pieces of armor that we must actively engage with, and those are the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. But even one of those actively engaged pieces of our armor is for defense. The shield of faith. But this morning we're going to talk about our one offensive weapon. And that is the sword of the spirit. Which is also actively engaged with. And whether for defense or offense. Whether we passively engage with it. Or actively engage with it. I want to remind you that every single piece of God's armor is vitally important. There's not one piece of this armor uh, that is, is there for looks that doesn't have a function. It is important, and we must equip ourselves with every single piece of armor. At the beginning of this series, I mentioned that I believe putting on the armor of God is absolutely essential for us as believers. And it seems like as each day passes by, the spiritual battle that we are fighting grows increasingly fierce. And the only way that we can defend ourselves and fight this battle is if we have put on, equipped every single piece of the armor of God. Each week we've looked at the whole source text of Scripture so that we would have the big picture. And we're going to do that again this morning, starting in verse 11. Put on, clothe yourself with the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand successfully against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to successfully withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As I mentioned a moment ago, the sword of the Spirit is the only piece of God's armor listed by Paul that is to be used in an offensive capacity. Even if we have all the rest of the armor equipped perfectly without our sword, we amount to little more than a heavenly armored moving target. We don't want to be a target for the enemy. We don't want to just take the beating and hope that we survive in Christ Jesus. We can be a force. The spiritual enemies of God fear. We're going to look at this sword and talk about this sword this morning. And the first aspect is the most obvious. It says it very clearly. It is the word of God. And we tend to immediately think of the written word of God, the Bible. And it certainly includes that as well. But John 1, 1 is very clear that Jesus Christ is the word of God. He's the living word of God. And there's a second aspect to the sword of the Spirit that I think we often overlook in this passage. And one thing I want to remind you is when uh, Paul was writing these letters, he didn't write in the verse numbers. This was flowing sentences. And so what seems to be separated in verse 17 and 18, I believe, is one flowing sentence about the same piece of armor. It says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. As I've gone through this series and studied it, there's some that would say there's actually seven pieces of armor. They uh, take out this last portion about prayer and say that prayer is the seventh piece, that there's not just six. But I disagree. I believe that the praying in the spirit and the word of God, the sword of the spirit is one and the same. And that prayer is the way that we wield this sword. When we pray, we're swinging it. We're going to look at both of these aspects of the sword and how we would use it. And we're going to do that by looking at Jesus' example. In one way, he battles Satan with the word. And in another, he battles in prayer. Before we get to those two examples, I just want us to look at the power of this sword. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The spirit-filled word of God ministers like a healing knife of a surgeon to those open to receiving Christ Jesus. Acts 2.37 says, Now when they heard this, and these were people uh, that were that Peter was proclaiming the word of Jesus Christ to. He was proclaiming the gospel to them. And it says when they heard that, they heard the proclamation of Jesus Christ. They were cut to the heart. 
The sword of the Spirit had slashed through their spirit and pierced their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And what they did was come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's power in the Word of God, far more than we give it credit for. While the sword of the Spirit can draw people to Christ, it can also defeat our spiritual enemy, just like a physical sword. Remember our weapons of warfare. Ephesians 6 was very clear. We're fighting these weapons. God has equipped us with these divinely equipped armor to fight against a spiritual enemy. He says we don't wrestle against the flesh and blood that we see around us, but against the spiritual enemy, those dark forces. And Jesus gives us us an example when he battled Satan with the word of God in Luke chapter 4. And I looked at this passage in a whole new way as I was studying it for this word. You're all probably going to be very uh, acquainted with this passage. But I want you to look at it in a different way that Jesus was battling with Satan. This was a fight. And Jesus took out the sword of the Spirit and was slashing at Satan with every response from the Word of God. One of the things that we looked at previously at the very first week, starting with the belt of truth, was the fact that the sheath for the sword of the Spirit is on the belt of truth. And that was something else that I had never seen before. But when we put the sword up or when we draw that blade for battle, we're pulling it out of truth. It has to come from a place of truth. And so Jesus, after fasting and praying for 40 days, pulls out the sword from its sheath from the belt of truth, fully clothed in the armor of God and prepares to do the greatest battle in all of history. In Luke 4, 1 through 13, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Each one of these responses, Jesus is flashing at Satan and he's pulling back. And he's like, okay, I'm going to try another attack. And Jesus slashes again and he dodges. And he's like, okay, I'm going to try again. And so his final attack, it says, he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Satan was defeated by the sword of the Spirit, by the Word of God. 
And there was nothing he could do. There was no uh, defense, no offense that he could muster that would have anything to do to get to Jesus. Jesus was wearing that divinely empowered armor of God and he wielded it perfectly. And we know that the next time, that opportune time when he thought he could win a victory over Jesus was on the cross. And what Jesus did was win the final victory once and for all. And when it was over, Jesus said, it is finished. And it was finished forever and ever, for all eternity. The battle is not being fought to be won or lost. It's already been won. And he walks with us now and is with us and in us and for us as we continue. And just like Brandon shared at the beginning, it's because there's still ones left. There's still people that have not come to him that he will do anything to draw them into a relationship with him. And so he says, I will wait. I will wait. I will have mercy. I will continue to have grace because there's more. There's more that will come to me. And that's what we're called to do. We're not called to be an individual soldier for Christ. We're called to be the army of God. And He's equipped us with every piece of armor that we need to fight in this battle. Jesus defeated Satan with the sword of the Spirit, with the Word of God. And in the next example that we're going to look at, we're going to see how Jesus battled Satan in prayer. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, Jesus is talking to Simon Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus told Peter, I have prayed for you. He could have fixed him. Jesus could have fixed Peter in an instant with a miracle and changed his heart, transformed the part of him that was going to fall away. But Jesus said, I've done something better than fix you. I've prayed for you. I've interceded for you between you and the Father. Jesus is our mediator. The Bible is very clear on that and goes into great depth on the mediation that Christ Jesus performs for us. Even today, it says he's seated at the right hand of the Father, always praying, always mediating for us. One way that we can look at this is to say that there's never an immediate relationship between us and another human being. Let me explain that. Jesus Christ is always in the middle when we have a relationship with Him. I should never think of what I am going to do with you or to you or for you. Rather, what we should be thinking is what we, Jesus and I, are going to do with you and for you and to you. And I should never wonder about what someone else, whether they're a believer or not, is going to do to me. Because God says, I work all things together for good for those who follow me. 
So anything that comes against me has to pass through the armor of God, which is Jesus Christ himself. So it's not what they're going to do to me. It's going to be what is Jesus Christ going to do in me and with me and for me as I interact with these other people. Whether they're a fellow brother and sister in Christ going into battle or whether it's an enemy that's attacking. We are not alone There's a protection in this. Jesus Christ is the whole armor of God. When we are in Christ, we are with him and he is with us, literally mediating between every single relationship, every encounter that we have. We do not have an encounter with another human being that's not a divine relationship. If we are in Christ Jesus, every encounter we have is a divine encounter. And we're called to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And we're wa- when we're walking clothed in that armor, we're walking in the Spirit. An example, it's kind of a vague example, but there, there's multiple things that uh, I've had in my life like this. But just to protect the individuals that, that were involved, uh, I'll just share the scenario. And you'll know you'll know how to apply it in your own life. It's very clear. As a parent, and this is a vague example, but as a parent, you know if you have children, there there's nothing that you can do to save them. As much as you want them to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they have to get there on their own. You can be an example. You can raise them up in the Word. You can tell them the truth. But unless God speaks to them, unless their heart opens up to Him, unless they receive Him, there's nothing that we can do, no matter how much we'd want to shake it into them. It has to be Him. And that's the same with every other relationship in our life, whether it's our children, our grandchildren, our spouses, our friends, our co-workers, whoever we encounter in whatever situation, it has to be a work of God mediated through Jesus Christ for it to really make a difference. And so when I've been in situations where someone I love desperately is going through a difficult time and I just want to say the right thing or do the right thing or fix it, and make it better. What I've come to realize is there's nothing that I can do. There's no words I can say. There's no scripture I can reference. There's nothing that can be done unless Jesus Christ gets in the middle. Unless they receive a word from God. And over and over and over, never in the time frame that I would like, It's always much, much, much longer. God speaks. And the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, slices through everything that's going on in their life and pierces through the flesh, down to the marrow, into the Spirit, and they hear God. And they get one Word. And that Word from Him changes everything. And it reminds me again of what I always knew. Only you, God. Only you can change a heart. Only you can do this work. If I look at my own life, every experience I've had, any time I've ever been truly changed, it wasn't anybody else. It wasn't what somebody said. God came and interacted with me and he changed me. And he does it over and over and over and over again. 
And he calls us to go out. And when we find somebody that needs to be fixed, that we would humble ourselves and realize Jesus apart from you being in the middle. And you being in the middle of them, there's no way they're going to get fixed. And so I come and I'm going to do the best thing I could possibly do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray the Word of God. I'm going to use the sword of the Spirit, the one offensive weapon you've given us, prayer. And I'm going to wield it against the enemy, against the attacks against my children, against my grandchildren, against my coworkers, against my spouse, against my friends, against the loss that I don't even know. That God would do what He plans to do and He would use us in the capacity that He's calling us. Jesus could have wielded the sword on Peter and fixed him. He could have fixed him good. But instead of changing Peter without Peter's involvement, Jesus stood between Peter and the Father and He prayed. When it comes to fighting our spiritual enemies, we can attack them with the Word of God and prayer. But when it comes to ministering to the flesh and blood that we find around us, we need to pray. We need to pray for them to realize that Jesus Christ is the only one that can minister between us and them. And that is the only way that we can do it. It's the only way that they can be changed. The only way that they can be transformed. And we do this when we walk fully clothed in the whole armor of God, walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. A physical sword wounds to hurt and to kill, but the sword of the spirit, when ministering to those around us, wounds to heal and give life. The knife of a surgeon cuts just like any other knife, just like any other sword. But when it's put into a hand that knows what he's doing, those cuts can heal. And the Holy Spirit knows how to wield His sword. Remember, it's His armor. It says, put on the whole armor of God. It's His belt. It's His shoes. It's His breastplate. It's His helmet. It's His sword. It's His shield. Everything is His. He does it all. And He gives it all to us. And He gives us Jesus Christ. All is by grace and mercy. I was reading this week, uh, uh, author uh, Dallas Willard. He said, he said we've lost, that th- th- those words meant and would have said the original intent when they were first written in our language, but we've lost the term like mercy and grace and what they truly, the idea that they were truly trying to convey. Right now, we would say mercy is a good thing. And it is. It is a good thing. But the way it was intended when it was written was not just, oh, let's be merciful and God's merciful. The best word we could use right now is pity. Oh, God, pity us. We are pitiable. But that hurts because we want to have something to give. We want to be special on our own. We think that God just makes us a little better. That we just made mistakes. Sin didn't separate us from God. We weren't dead in our sins. We just needed a little help. 
that's not the way it works. We're to be pitied because we're dead in our transgressions. We have no relationship. If we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're dead. Jesus Christ came to raise us from spiritual death to spiritual life. He can pity us because we need to be pitied. We have nothing to offer. Scripture says all our righteousness, our best, is as filthy rags. Does that mean he doesn't love us? Absolutely not. He sent his own son to bring us back. But apart from him, we can do nothing. Nothing. But we still want to come to him and say, well, I'm better than that person. (laughs) Or I'm better than that person. You're going to be lucky to get this one, God. (laughs) No, we're all lucky to get him. And he wants every single one of us. And he clothes us with himself to protect us and to give us weapons to fight our enemy. Second Corinthians 10 verse 3. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Think about it. Jesus, we talked about two major battles that he fought and then mentioned the third of, on the cross. They weren't waged with hundreds of thousands of soldiers, but they were the most important battles ever fought. And he won every single one of them. What happens in the spiritual realm is far more important than what happens in the physical. And we, we so underestimate the power of prayer. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The real ones, the spiritual ones. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Jesus Christ. The sword of the Spirit has God's divine power to destroy strongholds. The strongholds of our enemy. Not the flesh and blood that we see around us, but the spiritual forces that we are waging war against through prayer, the power of prayer and the word, the living word of God, Jesus Christ. As we close this morning, I want to remind you of that truth again, the belt of truth that holds this sword. And John seventeen seventeen says, sanctify them in the truth because your word is truth. We live in a world right now that's telling us truth is debatable. Absolute truth does not exist. That's a lie from the pit of hell. His word is true. And nothing can change that. No lie can change that. The all-powerful sword of the living God is able to cut through every defense our enemy can raise down to the very division of bone and marrow, when wielded by a servant of God, nothing can withstand its ability to cut straight to the core of a matter and uncover the truth. We are fighting in a spiritual battle. 
And as we close, I want to remind you that we know how the battle ends. There's two, two of the many powerful and sure promises in God's word tell us that if we remain dedicated to God and his word, we will make it to the end and we will be saved. Isaiah 46:11 says, and this is God himself speaking, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. He's going to do everything he has said he is going to do. God has won the victory. Jesus Christ, the word of God has promised us it's finished. So take up your sword. The battle is ours. The battle belongs to the Lord. His word, his armor, he he says it. He's going to do it. We can trust him. The whole armor of God is Jesus Christ. To put on this armor, to clothe ourselves with this armor, is to clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ is the truth. John 14, 6. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Jesus Christ is our peace. Ephesians 2, 14. His faithfulness makes possible our faith. Galatians 2.20. And He is our salvation. Luke 2.30. And God, Jesus Christ Himself, is the sword of the Spirit. John 1.1 and John 14. Put on, clothe yourselves with the armor of God, with Jesus Christ, that we might stand against every single attack of the enemy and that we can wield the sword of the Spirit with the Word of God and prayer so that we might come out in one, as one, against the one enemy that we all have in common. And God, Jesus Christ, has won the victory once and for all for, for us. Because He loved us. Because He first loved us. From the very beginning it says, before He created everything, He was ready to send Jesus Christ. Before the foundation of the world, He knew Jesus Christ was going to have to go to the cross. And He did it anyway. Because He loves you. If you don't know him this morning, if you don't have that relationship with him, if you know you're not clothed with that armor, all you have to do this morning is come to him and say, I can't do it on my own. I'm dead. I'm dead in my transgressions. I want you to be the Lord of my life. My Lord and Savior, save me. And he will. And He will clothe you. He will be in you. He will be around you. And you will never have another interaction that's not a divine interaction for the rest of your life. Will you bow your head with me as we close in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the sword of the Spirit. We thank You that You have uh, equipped us and put Your armor on us and literally made us like a spiritual tank. But you didn't equip us to be a moving target. You gave us your word, the sword of the spirit and prayer to wield your word that we might be victorious against your enemy and our enemy. 
He's lost and he's losing. Father, we give you all praise and all glory and all honor. Lord, we go to battle in confidence knowing you've already won. Lord, we pray for the body and land passes in our state, throughout our nation and throughout the world, Lord. That your kingdom will come. Your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father. And everything that you have purposed will come to pass. Not one word, Lord, that you have said will fall to the side. You have said it and you will do it. You're preparing the way. Thank you. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 